Well, this morning I'm excited because I'm going to talk about the United States military. The United States military has five main branches. The Army, the Navy, the Air Force, the Marines, and the Coast Guard. Now, we also know that with the U.S. military, they have reserves, right? But the five main branches, Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, and Coast Guard. The Army, this is what their core uh, beliefs are. Loyalty, duty, respect, personal courage, honor, and selfless service. Their motto for the Army is, this we will defend. The Navy, their core belief is take initiative, have accountability, integrity, be tough, honor, courage, commitment. Their motto for the Navy, not me, not me, it's not myself, but it's for my country. For the Air Force, the core belief is integrity first, courage, conviction, service before self, excellence in all we do. It's the Air Force. Their motto, aim high, fly, fight, and win. For the Marines, Core beliefs are honor, courage, commitment. Their motto is always faithful to each other and to the United States. For the Coast Guard, their core belief is honor, respect, and devotion to duty. Their motto, I'm always ready. The U.S. Armed Forces, you know there's a saying that goes around with the U.S. military. Do not leave anyone behind. That's a basic pillar of the U.S. military. Do not leave anyone behind. Core values, and we talk about core values and we describe the core values of the five main branches. And as I listed the core values, some of them, as you go through the five, are pretty similar and some of the same words stick out there. Question, what's your core value? If you were to put five words to your life, if you were to put five words to what you believe as a person, as your faith in God, what core values do you have? What motto do you have for life? If God asked you this morning that you needed to join one of the five branches of the U.S. military, I wonder which one that you would join. Last year, 100,000 Christians died for believing in God for their faith. There's 430,000 full-time missionaries in our world today. There's 400,000 short-term missionaries out of the 5.5 million Christian workers. Now, this morning, I, I say all of that to say, you know, last week, if you've been watching TV, you would know that the U.S. military pulled out of Afghanistan. And how many of us heard that there was going to be some Christians who were going to be beheaded? There was going to be some Christians who were to be tortured because they're left behind. How many of us have seen text messages and stuff on TV about the horrible, horribleness that this country, they do not like Christians and, and all that's going to happen because the U.S. military is pulling out all that's going to happen. It's funny that the main motto for the U.S. military is what? Leave no one behind. Over 200 Americans at least left behind in Afghanistan. I guess they didn't have enough room for them. And as I watch this, and as I see it on TV, and as I have gotten text messages from family, so many believers, so many pastors asking for prayers for Christians and this and that and the other. And, and many of us moved, moved by what we're hearing and what we're seeing. And it, it is tragic. 
to think that there could be, you know, a couple hundred missionaries beheaded, right? That like our faith here in the United States, we don't have that kind of persecution, right? We're not going to walk outside and there's going to be people there who are ready to take us out because we're having church service. But there are parts of the world where if you profess Jesus Christ, you will die for your faith. And so for many of us who we've watched this past week and we've gotten text messages, our hearts went out to those Christians not knowing if they made it or not. And how many of us feeling compassion and maybe many of us feeling anger and frustration that th those people were left there. But my question is, and it is, it is absolutely the right thing to have compassion for people who are gonna die for their faith. Do you have that same compassion for the people that you live with? My question is, do you have that same compassion for the people you work with? Do you have that same compassion for the people you go to church with? Do you have that same compassion for the people in the same town, in this valley, Hemet, San Jacinto, and Val Vista? Because we most definitely, we most definitely need to see what's going around the world because it opens our eyes and it's the signs of the times. Jesus said, when you look outside and you know the sun is setting, you know what day it is, right? You know what time it is. You know when harvest is coming. All of those things because you can read in the sky. When we see what's going on around the world, we can see the signs of the times in which we live, that we're getting closer to the end. And we can see all the hurt and pain that people go through. And our heart gets moved with compassion. But, <coughs> <Sorry>. <coughs> but at the same time, do you have that compassion here? When I was um, young, the only thing I wanted to do as a kid was travel. And my best friend, Brian, that's all we talked about. You know, through junior high and high school, we were talking about as soon as we graduate, we're buying backpacks, we're gonna go fly over to Europe, and we're gonna, just gonna stay there, and we're just gonna travel around the world. So from young kids, I met Brian when I was in fourth grade, and we talked about that over and over and over again. We're gonna travel the world, so awesome. When I got saved at 19, now me and my friend Brian, we went to missionary school together, so we left beautiful Hemet here. It went to just a place that was a little more beautiful called Hawaii, where we went to missionary school. And being in mission scary, missionary school <laughs> can be scary too. But going to missionary school, you know, you get there and it, it was everything that I hoped and dreamed for. It was awesome. It was amazing. Of course, I met my beautiful wife, Kim, there. And it was amazing, and I, and I absolutely, I loved it. I love being there, and I loved learning, and I loved at the opportunity when I got to travel, and I went to Malaysia and Philippines and Indonesia. And when I was sitting in the Philippines, um, and again, remember, as a kid, all I wanted to do was to travel. And as soon as I had the opportunity to travel, and then I'm sitting there in the Philippines, and I'm having a conversation with God, I'm like, God, is this where I need to stay? Do I need to stay here in the Philippines? God, do I need to continue? Do I need to go back? And I loved YWAM, Youth with a Mission. That was the school. Or do I need to go back and maybe do a missionary trip somewhere else? And as I'm sitting there praying, God put it on my, clear, on my heart, clear as day. It's awesome to be a missionary, and they're needed, but I need you to be a missionary to Hemet. I need you to be a missionary to Hemet. Awesome and a wonderful thing to travel around the world and have compassion. You know, when, when Kim and I, uh, I got to go back to the Philippines a second time. So when we went there, you know, Kim and I, because we're so nice and, you know, handsome and beautiful, we had a ministry to street kids. 
and, and we were out there and we're singing songs just, just by walking around. It's not like we went there and, you know, bribed these kids to hang out with us. Well, we did a little bit because we bought them Jollibee, which is like a McDonald's, and we uh, bought them Bibles. So we were spoiling them a little bit, but we still weren't bribing them. But as soon as we got there and we go to the street, they were so curious about who we were and what we were doing. At least sometimes 100, 200 street kids would come and hang out with us. And so you see these kids who were, they're poor. They have, it's not like, you know, they went home and changed their outfit and came back the next day and had a, a nice clean outfit on. They had the same dirty clothes on every single day. And that's what moved Kim and I with compassion when we saw these kids wearing the same gross, disgusting clothes every day. When we would get them food, and I mean, these kids are starving. They're, they're not well fed at home. How many of us had a nice meal last night? You know, how many of us, some of us who are breakfast people, you woke up, you had a nice meal again this morning. There's kids around the world who don't get that opportunity. They don't get breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Well, matter of fact, when we uh, were planning our trip over there as missionaries, our travel agent, <clears throat> who we used to get the tickets at the time, which now you just use Google, right? What's a travel agent? Now you use Google and just find your tickets. But we use this travel agent, and she said, you know, it's weird. The number one thing that comes up in the Philippines is prostitution. And when we got there, we realized the number one reason that, the, that prostitution is so big, little girls, young ladies who do not have wealthy families, they're forced into that kind of work. They're forced, when they're very young, they're forced to become a prostitute because that's their way of living. Our hearts move with compassion as we work with the street kids when we were there for a few months. At the same time, do you have that same compassion? When you walk through the church doors, do you have that same compassion for every single heart, mind, and soul that you see? When you walk into your house, do you have that same compassion for every single person who lives in your house? When you walk down the streets, many of us don't walk in Hammett, but when you drive down the streets, Florida or State Street or Stetson, the main ones, right? Is God, are you allowing him to move you with compassion. Compassion is a, a sympathy, it's a pity, it's a concern for suffering or misfortune of others. And how many of us know that our town, there's a good share of that. In our town, there's a good share of people who have misfortune. There's life has been hard on them. If you have your Bibles this morning, we're gonna jump into a story, Luke 10, 25. And it is on the screen if you don't have your Bibles, but I encourage you, if you do have your Bibles, read from your Bible. But if you don't, it's on the screen, Luke 10, 25. One day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus. Ah, that's why the mic's not working, it just dawned on me. One day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, well, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you're going to live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Verse, which one's next? Jesus replied with a story. I think I skipped a little bit. A Jewish man was traveling on a trip from Jerusalem to Jericho. 
And as he was traveling, he was attacked by bandits, and they stripped him of his clothes. They beat him up. They left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest, turned to neighbor and say, it's a priest. When he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side, and he passed by him. A temple assistant, tell me the assistant pastor, walked over. He looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine. He bandaged him. He put him on his donkey, took him to an inn where they took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins. Tell him two silver coins. Telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a good neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits? Jesus asked. And the man replied, the one who showed mercy. And Jesus said, yes. Now go and do the same. My title this morning is BS. Turn to your neighbor and say BS. Ah, I forgot to turn the light on. In this story, I love this story. One of the first things that stuck, stuck out to me as I read it was, as they're having the conversation about what's the most important commandment, the question arises, how do you read it? Now, how many of us read? And you don't have to admit it if you don't. A lot of us read different things. Some of us don't watch the news, we read the news, right? How many of us turn on our phone and we're reading what people are posting? How many of us are reading the news on our phones? We're reading all the different posts that people put every single day. You know, our friends and our families and they're, and they're posting this and they're posting that and they're reposting this. One of the questions that arises is how do you read it? Very, very important. The Bible, for some people, it's black and white. And we know that the letters of Jesus are in red, right? Make it easy, right? If you want to read Jesus' words, just open up for the red letters. But the question is, number one, do you read it? And you should read the Bible for yourself. You should open up a Bible. You should open up the app on your phone. And you should spend time, even if it's a verse a day, spend time reading the Bible. You're not going to neglect eating breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You may only have one meal a day, right? And so if you're not going to neglect the food that your body needs, don't neglect the food that your spirit needs inside, which is the Bible. Open it up and read it. And then secondly, once you read it, you got to understand some of the things in the Bible aren't very clear. They're hard to understand. And so what do you need to do? You need to read it over and over again. And you need to pray and ask God, God, help me reveal this scripture to me. God, help me to understand this scripture. And the Holy Spirit will help you with that. The second thing Jesus said in the man is, I need to love God with all of my heart, mind, soul. You know, there's certain things that are simple in life, right? How many of us know that when we're hungry, we eat? Isn't that pretty simple? How many of us think that sometimes bills, pretty simple. You pay the bill, your lights stay on. You don't pay the bill, guess what happens? Eventually, the light gets turned off. Now that could be simple and that could be complicated all at the same time if you're paying your bill, right? Loving God, all of my heart, all of my mind, and all of my soul. What does that look like for you? What does loving God with all of your heart, all of your mind, and all of your soul, how does that look in your mind? When you paint the picture of you, when you paint the picture of this is my faith, and this is how I believe, and this is how I show God that I love him. I love it when people show me gifts. I love it when I wake up on Christmas morning and there's presents under the tree. 
I love it when it's my birthday and, and I, people sing, you know, happy birthday and, and they give me a couple presents and they make me feel good, right? Most of us enjoy being celebrated, right? Being celebrated is a nice thing. But in all of our feelings and all of our celebrations, how do we take that and translate to if God's asking me to love him with all of my heart, all of my mind, and all of my soul, how do I translate that into life? How do I translate that in every single thing that I do? And then they go on and say, to love your neighbor like yourself. And so the guy asked Jesus, well, who's my neighbor? And so they described this man, this poor guy who went on a journey from point A to B. And he's on the journey and he gets knocked out. He gets beat up, he gets robbed. And many of us, because of TV and social media, we can see this every single day. This is a normal occurrence in life. People are getting beat up in the streets. People are getting beat up at McDonald's. People are getting beat up, you know, when they don't get through the line fast enough. People are fighting all over the place because so many people are born to be fighters. This poor man, just on a journey, just enjoying himself, he's got a staff in his hand, he's got his cappuccino in the other hand, and he is walking, he's having a good time, he's pumped up, and he gets jumped. It says they strip him, they beat him, they take every single thing that he has. And then it says that they left, their, left this poor man half dead, laying on the side of the street. Laying there, so blood's coming out everywhere. There's two guys in this story that we're highlighting. And these two guys are very similar to you and I today. It says that there was a priest who walked by. And as the priest sees the man, now we would think that a priest, a pastor, seeing a guy who's there half dead, blood coming out, hardly got any clothes on, he should have compassion, pity, or feel something for this man, right? But the story describes what does he do? He just keeps on walking. Then his brother from another mother, his assistant, he comes walking by. And as he sees the man there, you would think, okay, maybe the pastor, the priest too busy. So maybe the assistant, he doesn't have anything to do today. He'll have enough time for the guy. But the guy sees him, looks at him. It's kind of like, ah. And what does he do? He keeps on walking. Now, maybe these two guys are just too busy. Maybe something was going on in church. Maybe they had a woman's potluck that day, and they had to get there to get the potluck all ready. Maybe they're having a men's conference, right? It's two guys. They had to hurry up and get to church for the men's conference. Maybe the newsboys, the, the Christian rock band was in town, and so they're at the, at the church, and they had to set everything up, right? It's some busy time. For whatever reason, two men being described as, as religious believers see someone and then do nothing at all. This morning, many of us are in those exact same shoes. We see people every single day, and you know what we do a lot of times? We just turn the other way. Many of us bothered with the thought that Christians were going to be headed, they were left behind. But yet in our own lives, how many of us are leaving someone behind? How many of us, when we see someone and we know that they're struggling, we know that they're changing, we know that things are different, how many of us let, let and just leave that person be? I'm just going to let them just be. They're, they're different now. I don't want to be around them. I don't want to be this. I'm just going to let that person go. 
You think about sports for a second. So we go from military to sports. In a sports team, there are a number of players, right? Basketball team has so many players. Football team has so many players. When someone gets injured, what happens? Somebody else has to step up. When somebody's an important quarterback or running back on the team and they get injured, what, uh, what happens? Somebody has to step up. Somebody has to fit those shoes. In our Christian world, when another brother or sister who was failing and there's something that's not being met and there's needs that are not being met because the pastor or their assistant or this person or this person, they're not stepping up to meet the needs. What needs to happen? Somebody else should step up to meet the needs. God has put us in this life as a Christian not to just sit and watch and listen every single week, but God has put us in this position to be the opposite of what the priest and the temple worker were described in this story, to look at every single person we see like the Samaritan. The Samaritan in the story says that he was hated, he's despised, he's an enemy of the Jewish people. But even though he's hated, even though he was from a different side of the street, even though he was an enemy of Jews, he sees a Jewish man, but he sees right through the Jewish man, and he jumps in and he, and he meets the need of this, this man who's really, really hurt. He took out his own olive oil. How many of us know olive oil is an important part of life? It's better than regular cooking oil. He takes out his wine, which at the end of the day, some people enjoy a little wine. And he takes out the olive oil and wine, and he starts putting them on this man's wounds. So he's taking something that belongs to him. It's very personal. He uses every single day, and he puts it on this man's wounds. He picks the man up, even though he's dirty and bloody. He just got a new suit. He was at Nordstrom Rack, and he got a new suit. But he didn't care. He put that man up with the blood that he had dripping down everywhere. And what did he do? He put him on his shoulder, and then he put him on his donkey. He did not care to stretch or to dirty his own clothes so that he can help this man. He takes him to an inn, to a fancy hotel, the Hampton Inn. And as soon as he gets to the Hampton Inn, what does he do? He pays two silver coins. He gives, he gives him a couple hundred bucks and he says, listen, the man needs to be here for a few days. If the bill runs higher, I'll pay more. He takes his time. He takes his energy. He takes every single thing that is in his life and he shows compassion, compassion. Seeing the world through hate, seeing the world through love. Many of us today, it's one or the other. Either we have hate or we have love. We turn on the TV, we have hate or we have love. This man who was despised, he was hated, he saw through love. He saw someone who needed someone, and he did not care at the moment what anybody was going to say, what anybody was going to do. I just need to meet this need. I just need to step up. It's my turn. The quarterback got hurt. I got to step in and be that quarterback. The running back is down, so I got to step in, and I got to be the running back. Someone else is falling over here. I need to step in, and I need to help pick them up. Matthew 14, 13 says, As soon as Jesus heard the news, he left in a boat to a remote place to be alone. But the crowds heard where he was headed, and so they followed on foot from many towns. Jesus saw the huge crowd, stepped out from the boat. He had compassion on them and healed all of their sick. Do we take the time? We know God wants us to be like Jesus. 
We know that he's asking us to follow in his footsteps. We know that he wants us. Remember that old old bracelet everyone used to wear, WWJD? What would Jesus do? Jesus would have compassion. Jesus would have compassion on every single person. He fought with the religious, but he had compassion on the hurting, the broken, and the lost. You know, and many times, if you back up to just say, you know, for the religious people, they're struggling just like everybody else, but they're struggling in a different way. God puts people in our life who bother us for a reason. John eleven thirty three says, when Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him. He was deeply troubled, and he asked, where have you put him? This is the story of Lazarus. When he comes and he sees the two sisters whose brother had died, what was he moved? He was moved by people. He sees this young... <laughs> young lady and he sees that she's weeping and so as soon as he sees her why he's moved by her tears jesus constantly when he sees the hurt and needs of other people what did he do jesus christ stepped in and met that need this sister this young lady's brother had died so what did he do he raised the dead he raised the dead this guy had been in a tomb for a few days, right? He was stinky. He was dirty. He was already, it was gross. But Jesus was so moved by one person's tears that he raised the dead. God has put us here in Hemet, California, Santa Seno Valvista. There's parts of towns where we, where we drive by, it looks dead, right? Because God has put you here to revive the dead parts of this town. God has put you here in this valley. When we drive by, we don't look at a building and say, that looks gross and disgusting. God's put you here to be the light, the revival that this town needs. Just like in this story, as Jesus is talking with somebody, he sees the need, and then he's instantly moved by the need, and he brings Lazarus to life. How many things in our town need life? How many people in our town need life? How many buildings, how many streets, how many homes, how many different streets, right? Our town, it does, it needs life. Who does it need? It needs Jesus. And just as it needs Jesus, it needs you as well. God's put you in this town for a reason and a time for such as this to bring life and resurrection, to bring it back to life. Matthew 9.35 says, Jesus traveled through all the towns, villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues, announcing the good news about the kingdom. He healed every kind of disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, he was bothered. When he saw the crowds, he was frustrated. No, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused helpless sheep without a shepherd and he said to his disciples harvest is great but you know even though that's great the workers are few the workers are few we could look around our town and we can get so frustrated and we can get burnt out and we can get tired and we can say there's just too much to get done here in this town. Let's move over to a new town where it looks newer and nicer. Then I don't have to work as hard. Is that what God wants you to do? Or does God want you to put your boots on and go to work in the town that you're living right now? 
right? How many of us, how many of us said, I think it's time to move out of Hemet. Hemet is just beyond repair. It's beyond love and attention. It just, you can't just scrub away the filth and the dirt. How many people in this town have said those very words? It's not heaven anymore, it's hell, right? It's gone. But if you and I are still here today, maybe you're still here today for a reason. Jesus, and this is a couple thousand years ago, when he saw people, when he saw the confusion, when he saw that they looked helpless, moved instantly with compassion. What does he say to his disciples? Man, the work is so great. There's just not enough workers. There's not enough people to do the work. Every single one of us who are here this morning, God has a job for you to do. Every single one of us, when you walk into this building, God has a job for you to do. As soon as you walk into church, as soon as you step foot on the property, God has a job for you to do. You're bringing your life, you're bringing your color, you're bringing who you are to enlighten, to help, to serve the place where God has put us. Jesus moved with compassion. Now what's the opposite, opposite side of, of compassion? Deuteronomy 34, this is the story of Moses. He went up to Mount Nebo from the plains of Moab and he climbed the peak, which is across from Jericho. The Lord showed him the whole land from Gilead to Dan, all the land of Naphtali, the land of Ephraim, Manasseh, the land of Judah, extending to the sea, Negev, the Jordan Valley with Jericho, the city of Palms, as far as Zo. And then the Lord said to Moses, this was the land that I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when I said, I will give it to your descendants. Turn to your neighbor and say, this is the promised land. Promised land. And I have not allowed you to, I have allowed you to see with your own eyes, but you will not enter it. Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, just as the Lord had said. The Lord buried him in the valley in Moab. And to this day, no one knows the place. Moses was 120 years old. It's a nice good age. His eyesight was clear, and he was as strong as ever. Why did Moses not get to see the promised land? Because he became angry with people. Why did Moses not get to the promise? He saw it, but he didn't get to enter it. And so for many of us, as many Christians today, I think they're in the exact same spot. They see the promise of God, but yet they're not tasting it. They see the promise. They said the grapes were so huge. The land promised, flown with milk and honey. So many amazing opportunities. So many possibilities, this, that, and the other. But no matter how great it was, this man, Moses, the leader, one of the greatest leaders of Israel and the Jewish people, he did not enter it. Why did he didn't enter? Because he had angry with the people. Do you get angry with people? Do you get frustrated with people? What if our anger and frustration with other people is stopping us from having a greater promise? What if your feelings towards other people is stopping you from a greater promise from God. God put us here to have compassion. But in that compassion, we cannot let compassion just disappear. We can't let compassion, we need to have compassion for every single person, no matter what our rank is, no matter what our hair color is, no matter what we drive, 
no matter where we work or don't work. We must have compassion for every single person. Exodus 17 says this, Joshua did what Moses had commanded and he fought the army. Meanwhile, Moses, Aaron, and Hur climbed to the top of a nearby hill. As long as Moses held up his staff in his hand, Israelites had the advantage. But when Moses had dropped his hand, the Amicalites gained the advantage. Moses' arms became so tired, he couldn't hold them up. Aaron and Hur found a stone for him to sit on. They stood there on each side of Moses, holding up his hands, so his hands held steady until sunset. As a result, Joshua overwhelmed the army, and they won. What people in your life do you hold up their hands so they can win the battles they're facing? What people has God put in your life? In this story, Moses had two people. Because he had those two men with him, they know, they knew what had to happen. They knew what needed to be done. And they held the hands up so that the war could be won. What hands, what people has God put in your life to hold them up? No matter how tired it gets, because when you're holding somebody, it gets tired. I can remember when our kids were little and, um, you know, mom would hold them for 20 hours. And then she'd say, can you just maybe hold the baby for a couple minutes? After like two minutes, my arms are already tired. I'm like, here, here's, here's our son or girl back, right? Because my arms are tired. It's like, I don't even know how you did that for five hours or, or even an hour, right? Spiritually, God has put people in your life to hold them up. Does that mean it's going to be easy all the time? Does that mean that you're going to feel like it all the time? Does that mean that you're going to have a great time doing it all the time? Absolutely not. God has put people in your life to hold their arms up. Why? So they can win their battles. So they can win their wars. Having compassion. When somebody comes to you and they're sharing over and over and over and over again their problems and this and that instead of saying you know what oh, it's the same old story they're struggling with the same old things they're the same old person this that and the other god needs you not to get angry not to get frustrated but be moved with compassion. Every person you talk to and have a conversation, let it move you to compassion. Let it move you to pity. Move through the words of what other people say to hear what's really going on in their heart. And so the question this morning, whose arms are you holding up? And who's holding your arms? So this morning as we wrap up the story of Hacksaw Ridge based on a true story, do you think that the war... Being in a war is a beautiful, just perfect, beautiful time. Sit down, have a cup of tea. Let's share some biscuits and, and you know, have a nice time. Here's the story of a young man who gave his life. He didn't want to go to war with a gun. He wanted to go to war to save life. And he kept praying, God, help me to just get one more. God, help me to save one more person. Did that look pretty? Did that look easy at all? Did it look like he was having just a great old time? Why is it as Christians, that's what we expect every single day. Everything has to be a great time. And when it's not a great time, I'm not happy. Why as Christians, sometimes we come to church and life is happening. If everything's not perfect, I'm just, ah, I'm not happy. 
God has put us here to be a brotherhood and a sisterhood. God has brought us together for a reason, to be a brotherhood, to be a sisterhood, to go out and just save whatever it's one person at a time today and one person tomorrow. He has put us here to have compassion for people. So every single person who walks through our doors, to have compassion and love, no matter who they are, no matter how old and young they are, to have compassion for every single person. Everywhere we go, everything that we do, when one person is falling behind, we don't trip them and leave them on the ground to die. We don't leave anyone behind. We continue to have compassion for the hard and difficult people in our lives. We continue to have heart and love and compassion for our town that is struggling. Hemet has struggled for a long time, and it's struggled because the believers have not been used to bring it back to life. God, use me to have compassion just one more. God, use me. God, use me. I know it's not going to be easy. God, use me to hold up my brother or my sister's arms because they're going through a battle. God, use me to help one more person today. God, use me because I know the road ahead is not easy. Luke 12, 35 says, be dressed, ready for service, and always keep your lamp burning as though you were waiting for the master to return from a wedding feast. Then you'll be ready to open the door and let him in the moment he arrives. Verse 39, understand this. If a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would not permit his house to be broken into. You also must be ready all the time for the son of man will come home when he least is expected. The truth is God is coming back. And the truth is that we need to be dressed and ready for him every single moment. But what does he want to find you doing? Just one. Just saving one more. Just helping one more. Just having compassion for one more. You don't, I don't, I don't want to be left behind when Jesus comes back. I don't want to be left on this earth when all hell breaks loose and there's wars breaking out everywhere and people are being killed everywhere. I don't want to be left behind. And I know I don't want to be left behind. I'm pretty sure you don't want to be left behind when God comes back either. But at the same time, God needs you and God wants you to have compassion so that no one else is left behind in your life as well. Stand with me. We're going to pray. As we stand and pray this morning, I'm going to end where we started. And that's many of us as believers, as many as Americans, were so frustrated as we saw Americans and families and innocent people. <clears throat> we know that there's 13 people who were killed, a part of us leaving Afghanistan. Bothered, frustrated, angry, and then hurt thinking that Christians could be killed. God using it to move you with compassion, not just for what's happening there, for the people he's put in your life, for the town that you live in, having a pity, having a sympathy, being moved with not frustration and anger, because what happened to Moses? He died full of strength. He died with great eyesight. Why? He lost his compassion for the people. Don't lose your compassion for anyone 
Find the compassion within you for every single person so that you can walk and talk and live in the promise that God has for you. Let's pray. God, we come to you this morning. God, we thank you for the brotherhood and the sisterhood that you have brought here, God, to us. God, we thank you for all that, that's going on in life right now. God, it's crazy. God, for all the things that are happening in life. God, and, and all of us this morning, we're busy. We work. God, we play. We have family. We have friends. We're busy. God, and in our busyness, we just say sorry. Because I feel like some of us, we've lost compassion. God, some of us, sometimes we lose, we've lost compassion. God, we say sorry. We don't want to lose sight of why you put us here. Just like Hacksaw, God, it's to save one more. God, as soon as we leave today, please move us. Fill us with your compassion. Help us to not walk, walk by another soul without saying, are you okay? God, help us to be careful witnesses for you where we're at, mindful but having full compassion on people, on the religious, on the brats, on the spoiled Christians, for those who are always troubled, and for the lost. God, help us to have compassion. God, when one of our brothers and sisters are falling down this morning, help us to not trip them, help us not to push them down anymore. God, but help us to do our part to pick up those who are falling. God, help us to do our part. Help us not complain how hard it is to be a Christian, how hard it is to help, how hard it is right now. God, but help us to see it from the other side of the token. It takes work to save a life, but the reward comes at the end. God, remind us, inspire us today to be all that you made us to. In Jesus' name, amen. We love you this morning. You all are absolutely wonderful and amazing. I thank you for your brotherhood, the sisterhood that we have here. Let's go out and win the war, all right? <laughs>